You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message by Pastor Andy Squires. You know, busyness isn't necessarily a sign of health, but when God's doing something, there will be a busyness associated with that. And currently at the church, there's a whole lot of going on. Thus, we have a lot of announcements. And there's two that we forgot this morning. Uh, first, I'd like to say that uh, Robin's going to be signing books again after church. So if you haven't got one of his new books yet, he'll sign it for you. You can get it directly following the service. And secondly... Um, in two weeks, we are starting home groups up again. Yes, that's right. So we have a problem, though. All of our current home groups are almost filled to capacity. So what we'd like to do is we'd like to expand our, our reach with the home groups. So if you are interested in hosting or leading a home group, do me a favor, come up after service today and see me. If you're interested in connecting with a home group, um, Sign up with Abby Brown after church. Give her your name, give her your, give her your number and your email. And then we'll be uh, in contact with you in the next couple weeks to let you know where you're going to be for the eight weeks of home groups this fall. So, okay. So today we are talking about baptism and I'm super excited about it. I've been studying, uh, um, baptism for the last three weeks now when it was, when the assignment was given, given to me. Um, it's kind of a daunting topic to tell you the truth. Um, there are volumes of theology, um, filled on the topic of baptism and, but we wanted to teach on it because we're doing a baptism next Sunday. Come on. That's an exciting thing. So if you haven't been baptized and you want to get baptized next Sunday is the time for that. So so there's two kinds of people in the world, those who have uh, been baptized, and then there's those who are waiting to be baptized. So you're, you're in one of those two categories. So you're in the right place this morning. So um, I was baptized when I was 10 years old. Anybody baptized when they were young? Okay. How many of you were baptized older than 10 and still don't understand exactly what happened? Raise your hand. It's okay. All right. So... <clears throat> Hopefully, we'll, we'll get a little clarity this morning on what baptism is and what it is not, okay? Now, when I hear the word baptism, sometimes I think of this just dry, dusty theological term. But the truth is, it's such an incredible thing. It is such a important um, part of the gospel called the mission of the church that I don't know why we don't talk about it more. And when you actually come to an understanding of it, it'll actually give you life in your heart, right? So, you know, it's one thing to have information about God, but it's another thing to have your heart connected to what he's doing. That's so much better, isn't it? Right? We're a singing people. We're a people who are we are embodying our bodies. We're living from our bodies. And God created us that way on purpose. He doesn't just mean us to live from head knowledge. He means us to live in our minds, our hearts, and our bodies. Amen? So even a topic as um, trite-seeming as something like baptism is really a... There's a reality there that is very important and very significant. So... So we're doing baptisms next Sunday, and we're having hot dogs at the same time. So I don't know how it gets better than that, really, to be honest with you. So is it getting hot in here? I got to take my shirt off. <laughs> All right. 
So there's two things. There's two things that Jesus told the church to do. And, and some people call them sacri- sacraments. I just call them things to do. All right. He said, do this in remembrance of me. He was speaking of the Lord's Supper. And that's, that's a whole nother topic, but it's a great thing. And it's something you should have going on in your life all of the time. Taking the communion of the Lord and remembering what he did for you. The other thing that he said to do was to go out into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in my name. All right. The mission of the church is directly associated with baptizing people. All right. So that's what that's kind of a strange thing. I mean, there's a lot of arguments to be had over baptism. Some people sprinkle, some people dunk. You know, there's a lot to be said about all of the hows, but we're not going to talk so much about the hows today as we are going to talk about the who of baptism. All right. So what I want to start with right now, and I've got so much to cover and I'm going to try to get through it as fast as I can, but I'm hoping you're going to catch a lot of what I'm going to say. But the very first thing that we want to talk about is the first thought. Your first thought about who God is affects everything else that you think about him. All right. So I would like to give you a picture of God that you probably have, but you may not have. We all have differing versions of who God is in our minds. There's an imagination that you have about who God is. And that's why we do theology. That's why we listen to preaching, because we need help with our imagination. And when we can get our imagination right about God, that helps us in our actual life. Amen? Okay, so the picture that I want to give you about who God is, is that he is not a lone person living far away in a distant galaxy somewhere, but he's near us in relationship, always and forever, eternally in a self-giving, other-loving, self-sacrificing relationship with himself between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three beings in one God have been for all time and eternity, they have been in friendship and love with one another. And that is very important because what that means, that relationship has everything to do with what you've been invited into. So if you think of God as a contract keeping lawyer who has set forth terms for you to obey and get right, that will affect the rest of the way that you think about him. If he feels cold and distant to you in your mind, that is how you will behave toward him. But if you recognize that before the earth was even created, before the universe was formed, you were inside God's heart and he dreamed about you before the formation of the universe. In fact, he created the universe so that you could have a place to figure out who he is. Before time began, the father, the son and the Holy Spirit We're enjoying each other's company so much that this idea formed in their heart and they thought about you and they thought, man, I would like to get that person to come over here and enjoy what we are enjoying together. That's incredible. Have any of you heard that before? I hope you have. It's not a new idea. It's an ancient idea. 
But sometimes we have to retrieve these things that we've lost. Amen. So our first thought today is this. God is love. God is love. God is love. No ifs, ands, or buts. No additions to it. God is love. Sounds so simple. You could miss it. You could hear those words and you could miss it. Let's take it one step closer. God loves you. He loves you. Why? Because he loves you. The old Graham Cook version of this. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. Why does he love you? Because God is love. And he's been in a love relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God, the three in one with himself. And he created you to get to enjoy that love. Man. It is the witness of scripture that God is love. First John four. When we think of God, we must not think of him as being alone. The mysterious nature of the Godhead is that the one true God is and has been in an eternal self-giving other loving friendship of love between the father and son and Holy Spirit. Out of this incredible love relationship between this loving Trinity comes the invitation to us to enter into friendship and union with God. God's primary purpose for us with him and each other is love and friendship. So it's not even just about you and God being in a friendship. It's about us being in love and friendship together as well. So he created us to find our true being in communion with him, in community with each other, in mutual relationships of love. And Jesus said this in John 15, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. So you ought to love one another. The problem with that equation is that if you don't know how much the father loves you and how much you already belong, it's hard to love other people. (laughs) So here, here's the deal. We are full participants in three things. We are full participants in the unity between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, between Christ and his body in the communion of the Spirit, and between members of the body through life in the Spirit. We each become our truest selves in relation, in love, and in communion. You will become your truest self as you grow in love. All right? So here's a practical thing. This is why I go to church. This is why I worship. I don't go to church because it is the practical thing to do. I go because I need my relationship with the body of Christ. I need you. I need my relationships with you. I need my relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because I am a creature in need of belonging, love, and friendship. So imagine this. Imagine if somebody asked me this question. Why did you get married? What good is that? What good is getting married? And, and imagine that if my answer was this. I got married because my wife is a great cook and she cleans the house so well and she does all the shopping and she takes care of my children. 
Well, not only would Amy slap the tar out of me if that was my answer, but it would be a false view of marriage, wouldn't it? It's not the reason we join into the sacrament of marriage. The utility of my relationship with Amy is not why I married her. I did not enter into this love, friendship, communion because of what she could do for me. I entered into that union for the sake of love, for the sake of the other, for mutual love back and forth, for a place of belonging and so that we could share everything together. This is why the sacrament of marriage is so precious to God because it really is a depiction of what the bride and and Christ is supposed to be. It's supposed to be intimate. It's supposed to include friendship. It's supposed to include intimacy. I heard a story of a man who who went to the top of uh, Yosemite Valley. I guess there's a mountain on the side of Yosemite Valley. And he was standing at the top of it. And he was looking at God's creation. And he stood there amazed by the beauty that he was beholding. And, and there was some academic, scientific, theological guy standing next to him. And he said, well, you know what you could do? You could dam up this valley and create enough water to hydrate the entire state of California. Well, here was a man who was, one man was amazed by the beauty of God's creation. And then there was another man who was addicted to what would be useful. And you and I were not created to be useful. We were created to be in communion and love. If you're living your whole life trying to be useful, seeking for significance in the utilitarian nature of what you do, you will never get what God created you to get. Now, it's not that you shouldn't do things. I believe that we were created to work with our hands, work with our minds. All of those things are part of who we are supposed to be. But your essence, who you are, created, you're a chip off the old block. You came out of the heart of God. You were created to know love and to give love. Are you with me so far? I'm not really with myself, so bear with me. All right. Okay. I, I like wearing my glasses when, when I preach because I have something to do while I'm preaching. And, and I, I just found myself going up to put my glasses up and they weren't there. So that felt very weird. So, all right. So, All of this is to say our worship is motivated by love. We are being made aware of God's love for us revealed in Jesus. And it awakens us in us a longing for intimate communion and baptism sets us forth into the life of Christ. Um, Just as a side note, worship is so important. But worship is is not a vehicle for you to get near to God. Worship is an overflow of your awareness of who God is. All right? Worship is not not a conduit to get closer to God. It can be a way to make you more aware of who he is. But worship is really just a mutual exchange of our love for God and dare I say God's love for us. 
So baptism. Baptism is not a personal pledge of your obedience. Baptism is not a sign that you are giving your life to him. Baptism is not a badge of your conversion. Baptism is not a thing that we do for God. It is an ordinary way that the Holy Spirit applies the benefits of salvation. So baptism signifies a reality, all right? Baptism is a sign of the one work of the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in the fulfillment of his purpose to bring many sons to glory. The mission of the church in the world is grounded in the mission of the Son and the Spirit from the Father. God is at work in the world to bring many into sonship and communion with him. Baptism is a sign of what the triune God does. When I say triune, I'm speaking of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a sign of the reality of what God does. God forgives, God cleanses, God regenerates, God adopts, God sends the spirit of his son into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, this is what God is doing. And baptism is a sign of all of that. Our response, our only reasonable service to this thing that God is doing is to say amen in faith. That's our only work. We say yes and amen to what the spirit is doing. Our response is passive. There is nothing more passive than dying and being buried, being baptized. Man, I was 10 years old when I got baptized and I didn't have a clue what was going on. I'm so glad that I don't have to have understanding before I start following Jesus. But man, understanding is so good when you get it too. I've been having this ongoing conversation. Lord, which comes first, the understanding or the faith? Or the faith of the un- then the understanding. It's like sometimes it's one and then it's the other. So you can't paint yourself into a corner and say, Lord, I'll do this when I have the understanding. Sometimes you just got to move out in something. But then there's other times when the spirit's like, I've got some understanding to give you that will revolutionize your faith. It's all of that. It's both of those directions. So don't worry if sometimes you don't understand and you just move out into following Jesus in something. When I was 10 years old, I just got into that dunk tank and my old pastor was there and I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but I knew I was getting something from the Lord and I just wanted stuff from the Lord. So there I was. You know, sometimes all it takes to follow Jesus is a little bit of hunger and a little bit of thirst, you know? Praise God. So number two, the first one was baptism is a sign of the one work of the one God. Two, baptism is the sign of the covenant of grace. Baptism is the sign of the covenant of grace. Okay, here's the thing. Sometimes we think of grace this covenant of grace between us and God as this bilateral agreement that God came to the table and we came to the table with him and we made this little agreement that if we were good and kept our stuff together, um, then we would, we would receive grace. But that's not what 
God is doing. Okay, okay. So the covenant of grace works like this. The covenant of grace is not an agreement that we make with God at this moment in time as though God's grace was contingent on our faith and decision. Remember this. God was for you before he was in you. God was for you before he was inside of you. If you're a believer today, the savior of the world lives inside of you. The God who created the universe dwells within you. And before that was a reality, he wasn't mad at you. He didn't not love you. He was already for you and did everything in his power to get you to him. Some people have said that we were made worthy by the cross. No, the cross just proves how worthy Jesus already saw you. You're not the scum of the earth that God is just bearing just so that, you know, like you can just get yourself together so that God can give you his love and grace. No, man. He's been working on this thing for a really long time to get you to the place that you were aware of how much he enjoys you. God was for me before he was in me. So baptism is not a seal of my faith decision. It is not a badge of my conversion. The good news is that God made a covenant for us in Christ and sealed it with his blood 2,000 years ago. It is a unilateral covenant of grace. That means the, the two sides of the table that are coming to make that covenant, it's all God. It's not God and me. It's all God. God has made a way for us through the blood of Jesus. It it is a unilateral covenant of grace, but we are summoned. We are summoned through the spirit to say amen. The spirit is beckoning us to say amen in faith and to participate in the life of Christ. Baptism is a sign that we have said amen to participate in the full benefits of his salvation for us. Baptism is an act of faith which sets forth the covenant made for us in Christ. This is a third point. Baptism in water sets forth or presents Christ's baptism for us. So, there's this interesting thing that happens in the scripture. There's, there's a couple of pictures, not pictures. There are some actual baptisms that are happening in the New Testament. But they don't always include water. And there's this interesting thing that Jesus says at one time in Luke chapter 12. Jesus is saying this about his death on the cross. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And what constraint I am under until this ordeal is over. He said this to his disciples. Can you be baptized with the baptized, bap- baptism that I am baptized with? 
And, and this wasn't Jesus using a metaphor for his suffering. This was the reality of the gospel message. It's the heart of the gospel. And it's signified in the rite of baptism. This baptism of blood on the cross is contained. When you get dunked in that tank, that reality of Jesus's life and death is encapsulated in that moment. It is by his baptism for us, his cross, his atoning death, his resurrection, that he forgives and sanctifies and secures our sonship. I would like to say this, that the cross, while it does save us from the consequences of sin and death, it's really not saving us from something as much as it is saving us into something so much better. The trajectory isn't getting out of the fires of hell. It's going into sonship. Although avoiding the fires of hell is an advantage as well, you know. I could say a lot about that, but I'm not today. All right. Are you all okay? All right. The work of the Holy Spirit is to seal, to seal that reality in our hearts and calls us to participate in it by life, a life of daily dying and rising with Christ. Baptism is a sacrament of cleansing and forgiveness. But it is not the water. It is not the church. It is not the pastor. It is not my faith. It is not my dying and rising that forgives and heals. It is Christ who has done this for us and in us by the spirit. So we are baptized in the name of Christ, not by our own name. And we are baptized into a life of union with Christ, of dying and rising with Christ into a life of communion. So there is one baptism. Ephesians 4, 5 says this, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The Nicene Creed says this, we believe in one baptism for the remission of sins. So whether you're Catholic, you're Anglican, you're Methodist, you're charismatic, whatever version of Christian faith you are, there is only one baptism. And what do we mean by one baptism? The one baptism only means Christ's baptism for us. Okay? Christ started his ministry by being baptized by the Spirit in the waters of the Jordan into a life of conflict with evil. It led to his baptism in blood on a cross, not for himself, but for us. When he saw people going down into the river to be baptized by John, confessing their sins, which is really see, I will act of guilty. Jesus said to John, baptize me. I will submit to a guilty verdict. He identified himself with us. 
that he might take our place as our substitute under the judgment of God. So he went to the cross to be baptized with us. Thinking through this this week, that was a real eye-opener for me because honestly, I have never understood what it meant, Jesus getting baptized in the Jordan River. I've never understood it. As far as I knew, he didn't have anything to repent for. But hopefully you're catching this morning, there's a, there's a vicariousness about the Lord. Where he is participating in our humanity. He came down from heaven to earth, submitting himself to the judgment of God. Taking on the guilty verdict into himself as he's standing in the Jordan River. Taking on my guilt, my sin, all the things that I needed taken care of. He came into my world so that I could be brought into his. It's an incredible exchange. The gospel is that Christ was baptized in blood on the cross once and for all. One for all, the one on behalf of the many and the many included in the one. Now, there are some disagreements in regards to the atonement. My personal theological view is that when Christ died, he atoned for everybody. Some just don't know it yet, but they're on their way. And that's part of our mission as the church, isn't it? To shine that light and let people know that they too are invited into this relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In this way, Jesus' death was our death. His burial was our burial, and his resurrection is our resurrection. His baptism for us is our baptism. Baptism is set forth by the love of the Father, and it is grounded in the substitution of the Son. The one baptism means that Christ's baptism of us by the Holy Spirit. The Christ who was baptized for us 2,000 years ago now comes to baptize us by the Spirit to make us members of his body that we might participate in his sonship with the Father. Jesus, who was himself baptized for us in our humanity by the Holy Spirit in the Jordan River, who was baptized in blood for us on the cross to secure our sonship at Pentecost, baptized the church by the same spirit to make it his body in a corporate baptism. He still baptizes us personally into union with himself by the spirit of adoption whereby we too, by a shared baptism of the Spirit, cry, Abba, Father. And the one baptism means that we have been incorporated into Christ. We have been brought into Christ. 
Ephesians says that we are seated in heavenly places. Paul says elsewhere, my life is hidden in Christ, in God. If somebody asks you where you are, you could truthfully say, I am in Christ in this moment. My life is hidden with Christ. I have repudiated the world. So water is the visible sign of washing. Water is the sign of baptism. In Acts 22, Ananias said to Paul, Paul, you need to be baptized in water to wash away your sins. And then Paul later speaks about washing of the water by the word. In Ephesians 5, and the writer of Hebrews speaks of this, having our hearts sprinkled and our bodies washed with pure water. Baptism in water is a sign, not of anything in us, but of Christ in the spirit. It is not my faith which cleanses me, but it is Christ by the spirit. You know, that's really helpful to know. Because I feel like sometimes I depend too much on how much I believe God. And the reality of life in Christ is I'm really trusting in how much Jesus believes God. That's the difference. Sometimes we get discouraged because we don't quite have the understanding of how all this works. But to me, I get the most joy out of relying on all of Jesus's understanding about how all of this works. My friend, Anthony Skinner, I've heard him say this on several occasions. It really just changed my life. But he says that he used to always think about how much he loved God. Or how much he was devoted to God. But his life turned upside down when he started thinking about how much God was devoted to him. And that, that the bulk of his relationship was not about what he could or should do for the father. But what the father was doing for him. And that the Christian life was just participating in what God has already done. And sometimes all that is coming out of you is saying yes and amen. I say the word amen a lot. I'll be at Walmart and somebody will say something to me and and I'll say, oh, I'll say amen. And they'll look at me like, well, that's kind of weird. And it is weird. But I just realized when I hear something and I agree with it, that's what I say. I say amen. And I don't know. It's, it's kind of like baptism. I can't really understand how it works. It's kind of like the Lord's Supper. I don't really understand how it works, but there's a power attached to it that's unexplainable. And when I say amen to the Lord, something opens up. I mean, it's not a magic trick. It's not, it's not a, it's, you can't get all superstitious about it. But man, I find that when I agree with what the Spirit is saying, I have a lot more fun. I get more revelation when I say amen to the father. I get more understanding when I say yes to the father. It doesn't always work that way, but I get more the more I agree with the Lord.
I know this has been very theological, but I, I don't know, man. If you're going to talk about baptism, you might as well do it right, you know? Like, <laughs> praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, I'm going to wrap this up. <clears throat> baptism is a seal which marks out the individual personally as someone who belongs to Christ. Whew, that's good. To make a visible difference between the church and the world. This is part of the significance of the household of baptisms that you see happening in the New Testament. In baptism we say, we and our family belong to Christ and have repudiated the world. Baptism marks the frontier between the church and the world. It is an evangelical sacrament, which in a very wonderful way enshrines the whole gospel of grace, which is unconditionally free for us and our children, but which summons us and our children unconditionally to costly faith and discipleship. Amen. Let me pray for you, and then Pastor Robin's going to come up and do something else. God, we thank you today that you've baptized us in love, that you have drawn us by your spirit. And we ask, Lord, that you would take us further into this reality, further than we already know. God, we're thankful for the revelation that we have, but we ask you to teach us more. And give us a better understanding of what it means to be hidden in you. In your name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. Thanks, Andy. I wanted to make a couple of comments. I've often deliberated about the difference in the old covenant And the new covenant, and it, it's the understanding enables you to possess what God has for you. Certain thing about some understanding is important. So, as I'm prayed over the years about the old covenant and the new covenant, and I had this is what I came to, and Andy touched on this, and I think it's very important to understand it. The old covenant was an agreement between God. And mankind, and mankind broke the covenant. The new covenant is a covenant between the Father and the Son, and we were included in to that arrangement at the cross. Andy has stated some of those things in, in very similar ways. Baptism becomes at one at one at one point baptism becomes an actual thing you do that demonstrates what happened at the cross and what happened in the life of Jesus it says in colossians this is chapter 2 um through our union with him we have experienced circumcision of heart 
all of the guilt and power of sin has been cut away and is now extinct because of what Christ, the anointed one, has accomplished for us. For we've been buried with him into his death. Our baptism into death also means we were raised with him when we believed in God's resurrection power, the power that raised him from death's realm. And so in baptism, you have that picture of going into the grave and coming back out. And one of the things that helped me over the years is there can be certain besetting sins. How many of you are familiar with either the term besetting sin or your own particular one? It's something that keeps coming after you. There's something that can happen in baptism where you put a stake in the ground. And when your accuser comes over a certain issue that may plague you, you have this to say to him. I left that in the waters of baptism when I identified with Jesus' death, Jesus' burial, and our resurrection into newness of life. And so that's another another picture of baptism. It gives you a warfare act. And so Andy was talking, it was really good. Andy was talking about how the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Spirit and the Spirit loves the Father. They all love each other. And it's like the Lord was saying, gosh, you know, the only thing that would be better than this is if there were more of us here. And so when you're saved, you're actually invited into that amazing, free, although very expensive love relationship with the Lord. Oh, baptism is another another key to that. Actually, in the Arab world, if you commit from a Muslim to a Christian, there's not much trouble until you get baptized. Because it makes some kind of a statement. Andy mentioned this. It makes a statement, and it contains elements that is difficult to understand, but it sure can stir up the demonic realm against people doing it. So, so much good in that. Thank you. Thank you, Andy so much. I enjoyed that. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.